from up here that my mic's on. Oh. Okay. This one is, I actually use those probably just as much, if not more. Oh, hi. Hi out there to everyone who's, come on in. We're going to get started here in just a second. Just a second. So tonight should be a really fun class because we're in the last chapter of 1 Corinthians, and if you read ahead, you'll know it's a um, pretty much conversation piece um, between the people at the church and Paul, and kind of a lot of characters that we might recognize names to, but not really much um, meat. So... We're going to go through 1 Corinthians chapter 16 really quickly. There's a couple spots I definitely want to sit on and talk about for a minute. And then at the end of class, I just want you to be thinking about um, what part of 1 Corinthians really stuck out to you. And I know we're talking a few months ago now, right, all the way back to chapter 1. But what part of 1 Corinthians really stuck out to you? What's a lesson that you really took home um, from the Word um, and kind of where we're at? How do we apply it? Because it's... One of the most interesting things about it is it's a, it's, a, it's a letter that's kind of all over the place, right? We went through a lot of different things um, as we were discussing it and even went on our own um, adventures kind of away from the context at times too, which was uh, great. I'm not complaining about that, but that's, that's because of the nature of the letter. You know, it talks about a vast, vast amount of things um, in just a few chapters really. So... Be thinking about what was the takeaway for you. What's that one thing that you'll remember um, from our study in 1 Corinthians? Um, let's pray before we start. Father God, we are uh, grateful for this time to just come and study your word and learn from each other. And Father, um, I just pray for everyone who's I'm sick or hurting. I, I, I got a few texts before class um, about some people in our church um, who are sick and hurting. Bill Lerner is uh, one of the people I'm thinking of on the top of my mind right now. Uh, Father, I just pray that you um, help him with his dizziness, help him, help him get right, get healthy, um, so that him and Betty can be back at church with us. Uh, Father, just um, also we're thinking a lot about the the hurricane. Um, many of us have lived here for a lot of years, and the amount of rain that came, the 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 amount of water in general, just from the initial onset, the devastation that we've seen, it it really is maybe even a once in a lifetime storm. I can't think of another one that was like that in that aspect. God, I just pray for the people in the southwest region of Florida. I pray for the people that are surrounding the St. John's River as uh, it keeps filling up and flooding more and more properties even as we speak. Father, I just pray for everybody, the, the churches that were affected, and I pray that if there's a way that we can help in, in that effort, that we search that out as a, as a body and that we um, 
move to action in some way to help our brothers and sisters in Christ on that side of the state. Father, be with us tonight as we go through 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and really discuss the whole letter. Uh, it's been a great class, Lord. We've enjoyed uh, the difficulty of the text. We've enjoyed the, the variety of the text. Father, I just pray that, that you've been glorified in our discussion and that uh, we are sharpening each other and, and growing in the Lord in this process. Thank you so much for Jesus, for the sacrifice he made on the cross that gives us all the hope of eternal life. And it's through his name we pray. Amen. All right. So, 1 Corinthians 16. Like I said, we're going to go through it kind of quick. I'm going to pause at a couple spots. Um, starting in verse 1, says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may, as, as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. So the, the first part of it, you really got this idea of collection. Um, this is a scripture we use um, many times to talk about why we take a collection, right? We raise funds together as we prosper and we give those to the elders and the elders decide how they can help our community, how they can help us um, as individuals here at the church and even the, the missions abroad. Um, it's really all that's going on here. Anybody want to add something to that? Yep. Yep. All right. Verse 5, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go, for I do not want to see you now just in passing. So Paul's saying he's planning this time where he can come to them because he needs to spend time with them. Obviously, in this letter, he probably feels a real necessity to spend some time with them because they're a church that is certainly in turmoil based on a lot of the things that we've studied. Um, he says, I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. Always, Lord willing. That's something you always see um, in all of Paul's writings when he's talking. If the Lord wills, that's what he's going to do. Um, he takes it one day at a time for the most part. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. So he's saying, right now my focus is on Ephesus because we're having an effective ministry. There's good things going on here. I can't leave them right yet. So he understands that Corinth needs him, but also there's this door that's open that he can't leave yet. And part of the reason why is because there's people out there against him. It's, it's, the door's open, but it doesn't mean that everything's coming easy. And as we've learned through studying Paul in many different um, books over the last couple months, really not much comes easy for Paul. Anybody want to bring anything up there before we move on? This is about to be the shortest class in the history of Wednesday night. Yep, it's happening. All right. Verse 10, when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am, so let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our other brother Apollos, 
I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. Maybe he's got something going on in his own personal life. Maybe he's got something going on like Paul, where he's having this amazing experience somewhere else that he can't exactly leave right away. Whatever it is, he's not ready to come, but he says he's going to come when he has opportunity. Now, why is that significant? Well, go all the way back to chapter 1. Go all the way back to the beginning of the letter of, of, uh, to Corinth. One of the guys that people are wanting to follow, one of the guys that people have raised and esteemed over everybody else is Apollos, right? So he's letting them know he's going to come, but right now he's not coming. Timothy's coming. Why does, let me ask you another quick question, just basic knowledge. Why does he say, so let no one despise him? Carl? Yeah, he's young, right? He actually says this to Timothy in his letter to Timothy, right? He says, don't let anybody despise you because you're young, but set the example to believers in speech, love, faith. So, yeah, I think that's pretty interesting that he uses that same exact verbiage again to say, no, don't let anybody despise him. He's coming, he's young, he's coming. Apollos can't come, I can't come, he's coming. So, this is one of the ones I want to park the bus on for a minute, though. It says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. So let's start with this idea of watchful. Why would Paul tell the church at Corinth to be watchful? Any guesses? Why would Paul tell the church of Corinth to be watchful? The devil. The devil? Absolutely. Is there temptation in Corinth? There's a lot of temptation in Corinth. Is there uh, adversaries in Corinth? There's a lot of adversaries in Corinth. Is their church in a really good place in Corinth? No. So it's not just that there's issues outside because of the culture that they live in, but there's even issues inside, which he's discussed multiple times in the letter, right? So be watchful. Isn't that... Go ahead, Chuck. Well, yeah, if you go back in, in the first chapter, it says, I'm, some are of Paul, some are of Paulus, yep. some are of Paul, Cephas. Yep. So they have a tendency to go off track pretty fast, because you know Paul never preached to say, you're of me. He always preached Christ. That's right. So, so they, get, they get distracted, sounds like, pretty fast and get off the track. And so the be watchful is to say, make sure you keep your eyes on Christ, not on some person. Yeah, be watchful. Also, some of the stuff that they dealt with, to me, the only way to say it is there's a neglect. There's a neglect from the leaders of the church. There's a neglect from the members of the church. There's just a neglect. How do you get to the point to where people are literally fighting over the communion? doing spiteful things over the communion, over the Lord's Supper, right? There is some neglect that's going on. So be watchful, pay attention, be, um, be um, ready. Um, when you see something that's going on that, you know, needs some attention, be watchful for that. All right, how about stand firm in the faith? Why is it important to stand firm in the faith? Why is it important today to stand firm in the faith? It's the same answer. Shad? You're always being tested. Yeah. The world's not going to take a day off, is it? The devil's not going to take a day off, right? You've got to stand firm in your faith. And, and 
You know, Satan is cunning, right? The scriptures say he schemes, right? He tries to um, throw us off. He tries to, just like he did um, all the way back in the garden, he tries to deceive you. So if you're not standing firm in your faith, he doesn't, he doesn't come at you with something that doesn't sound right. He comes at you with something that does somewhat sound right. Right? He didn't twist God's word terribly um, in Genesis. He just twisted God's words just enough to make someone fall. So you've got to stand firm in your faith. And I see that is a super important part um, of our culture today. Right? Because there's a lot of stuff that's going on in our culture today where if we don't stand firm, we're going to lose it. And there's going to be times where, and even right now, I believe there are things that we believe in as a church right here at North Brevard that we have to stand firm in, even though parts of our culture are calling us out and saying we're hateful and all of these other things for the things that we believe in based on the Word of God. Now, I want to respond to that for a second because I think this is um, it's a mindset, it's a trap. Right? Because we know we're supposed to be loving. We know we're supposed to be compassionate, right? We know we're supposed to be forgiving and merciful and gracious people. And that's a good thing. Those are all things we need to be, right? If we're going to be like Jesus, those are things we need to be like. But there's also truth. The truth of God's word. Right? And it separates truth from the lie. We have to stand firm in that as well. Right? So, what is the worst thing that can possibly happen to you in this life? What's the worst thing? I know, it seems like I just jumped, right? Go ahead, Shad. I would imagine not to be loved. Not to be loved? I think the worst thing is to go to hell. That's honestly why I live the life the way that I do the, the, with the job that I have because I honestly think the worst thing that can happen to you in this life is to go to hell. So I think we have to remember that as we're, and, and this is super important. Notice how I started with love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and compassion, right? There's a way to handle the truth. There's a way to deliver the truth. And it's in a message of love. Listen, the beauty of the gospel is that none of us, there's not one of us in here that deserved it. Right? And there's not one of us in here that didn't have to change the ways that we were living to become more like Christ. We didn't show up to church one day and go, you know what? This is talking about me. I'm exactly this way. You showed up at church and you said, man, there's a lot of truth to what I'm hearing, right? There's a lot that resonates within me because I was created this way. But there's a whole lot about me that has to change if I'm going to look anything like Jesus Christ. So, that's to me, when I see Stand Firm in the Faith, that's one of the things I think about so much. And I, and I keep going back to and it. Because it, it, it was so real for me in my life. 
was when me and Amy used to think we shouldn't pray at a restaurant because we didn't want to offend other people. And that was a really heavy discussion. That was even something that was discussed in Bible class at, at the college that I went to. That, that was, that was a, a heavy discussion in my generation because you're trying to be somebody who um, wants to share the good news but doesn't want to throw it in somebody's face. But to me, if I don't pray, I don't have to make a big show of it. then I'm actually setting an example that I care more about somebody else's opinion than God's. That is where I came to. And to me, if somebody sees me pray, I'm not yelling it across the restaurant. I'm not, um, most of the time when we do it, we do it pretty silently. Even when we're in a big group with my whole family on a Sunday, when we pray, we don't, we don't pray for the whole restaurant. <laughs> so if that offends somebody, I, I guess that's something that needed to offend them. Because again, for me, at the end of the day, the realization I've come to is I'm doing nobody any service by making sure I don't do anything that offends them if I'm not leading them to the truth. And for me, the truth is that Jesus Christ is the only one that can save, and no one comes to the Father except through him. So if I'm not spreading that gospel, I'm not, I'm not truly even loving you. So I think we have to stand firm. We have to stand firm in the word of God. We have to stand firm in the faith that Jesus is coming back. We also have to stand firm in the promises that we've been talking about, which is that God has made us overcomers, and that God can take a little bit of yeast and leaven the whole lump in a good way, right? And we have to stand firm in our faith and keep moving forward and keep trying to make a difference in people's lives and keep sharing the gospel and keep loving people, but also at the same time, teaching the truth. Teaching the truth. Not backing down from what the word of God says. All right, how about this one? Act like men. Does anybody like that phrase anymore? Translates it, be courageous. Be courageous. I was going to say, act like adults. Right? Act like adults. You know, sometimes it's hard to act like an adult. Sometimes it's hard to be courageous. However you want to interpret that's fine with me. It pretty much means the same thing. It means do the right thing for the right reason. That's what it means. Don't get caught up in the hype. Don't sell yourself out. Don't sell yourself short. Right? Act like adults. Then be strong. Why? Because the truth is you have the truth. You have the truth. You have the word of God. You have the thing that has defeated death, defeated Satan, given victory over the world. That's what you have. And to be honest with you, in the way I've always looked at it in my whole life, is that, that makes you dangerous to the enemy. 
If you know how to defeat the enemy, that makes you dangerous to the enemy. So be strong. That's why Jesus told you, I'm coming right to you. That's why Jesus told you, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they hated me, which they did, they're going to hate you. And I don't want to get super negative on all of this, but this is one of those moments. Look at, look at the way sin and evil, whatever you want to call it, has infiltrated this church in, in, in Corinth. It's destroying it. So be strong. Go ahead, William. I just want to say that uh, sometimes we underestimate Satan. Uh, we think that uh, we got it all together. But when I look at it, Jesus in the wilderness, if Satan is bold enough to ask Jesus to worship him. Yeah. And uh, now, now think about that. He asked the Son of God to, to worship him and what he could give him. So who are we? We definitely got to stand firm. Stand firm in the word because sometimes we stand firm in ourselves, and that's when we fall. Yeah. But we got we to gotta be realistic about this thing. Uh, Satan exists, yeah. and he's still trying to take as many people. He knows where he's going. Yeah. He's just trying to take as many people with him. That's right. That's right, Peter. Recently, Satan has come into my life, mm -hmm. and it came subtly in disguise. You know, and um, I thought it was just um, God's work, but it wasn't. It was something that was evil. It was deceit and lying. Something I haven't been around in a long time. Mm. And uh, since in a very long time. Because I don't have people like that in my life. Mm. And um, it, it was very um, confusing to see that, you know. And I got sucked into it and I started becoming that way myself, you know. And it was Something I haven't seen. Man, it was really 
Yeah, that's, I mean, going back to the first part, right? You got to be watchful. You got to be watchful. You got to pay attention. Pay attention to the things that people are doing around you. And one of the things I always tell the kids, and I've told the kids for a long, long time here at the church is, pay real close attention to what people do in public and realize that that's because everybody's watching. So if they're willing to do something that seems really bad or wild to you or evil to you in public, then imagine even more so what they're willing to do in private. And I think that's a, you just got to be watchful. You got to pay attention. Little things, little things creep in, little things. Seems like no big deal, and then all of a sudden it's a big thing. Then you got to be strong. Bertha. Um, I think that when we're dealing with these things, we forget that scripture in Matthew, what it is, 10, 14, it says, shake the devils off your feet mm-hmm. and move on. Some, like you said, you got to get away from some things that you find are evil. Just move on. Don't yeah. keep trying and trying and trying when they've made it clear that they're not like you. Right. <coughs> yeah. Sometimes you got to run like Joseph and flee from the temptation as well. Anybody else? Shad. The lack of this phrase here in our lives are the are, are basically the the end of things that we know. When when you don't have strong men, men in faith, and and loving. When that is taken out of society, which I think we all see it slowly becoming taken out of society, you know, no longer do they discipline kids in school, no longer, you know, the strong, faithful love is no longer there. And when you take this out of society, you'll see society start to drop off. Yeah. Because this is hard. Yeah. It's hard to be that. It is. It's hard to always be on your A game, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. And that's for anybody. It, it is hard. So, going back to this, verse 14 encompasses all of this. It really, if, to me, one of, the main, the, one of the main whole points of the letter was to remind the church at Corinth how important Love, love for God, love for each other, love for the lost really is um, to the core of who we are, who God is, what the church should be. Um, So let all that you do be done in love. Even when you're being watchful, be watchful in love. Even when you're standing firm in your faith, let it be done in love. Even when you're acting like adults and being courageous, let it be done in love. And even when you're being strong, let it be done in love. In love, right? You take love out of all of those qualities and it can turn into something Satan can use just as quick. And I've seen that. You know? So, something really to consider on all that too. Anybody else before I move on? All right. Oh, Doug, I'm sorry. I didn't see you back there. I like the way verse 13 is written positively. Be watchful, stand firm, act like man, be strong. He didn't go negative with don't don't let something come up from behind. Don't fall away. Don't act like a baby. You know, 
But this, you got a way to grow into this with never, without ever having to achieve perfection. But if you say don't, every little thing chips away like Old Testament law. Yeah, well said. Well said. All right. Anybody else? I don't want to overlook anybody. Good? Okay. Okay, so we're getting to the end here, but I really, I, I really like what he says here and going with what we were just talking about. Listen to this. Listen to this with maybe a little bit different ears. Now, I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the, were the first converts in Achaia and that they had, have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, right? Be in work, be in connection, be, look to those people, right? Be connected to those people and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. You, you ever meet somebody for the first time and it, it, five, ten minutes into the conversation, you know without a doubt that person loves God? Sometimes that just exudes off people, right? You can just sense it. You can see it in their spirit, right? I think that's something that um, Paul's kind of pointing out here. He's talking about founders, people that have now devoted themselves to the ministry is really what he's saying there in verse 15. Nurture each other. That's why he gave us the body, right? That's why we have a church. You by yourself, going through life, trying to follow Jesus is a completely different scenario than you've ever experienced in your life, and you should be grateful for that because it would have been a lot harder. Same with me. Right? Same with everybody in this room. So, one of the things I want to say is when you see those people in your life that you can see God just living in them, that it just exudes out of them. You just know when you're around them that they love God. They're not perfect people. None of us are, right? But, but those are people that deserve your time. Spend some time with those people. I remember being very young and noticing that quality about men in my life. And those were the men I wanted to spend my time with. Those were the men I wanted to learn from. Those were the men I wanted to hear their interpretation of Scripture because I saw what they were living. I could experience it from them. I could feel it in them. I saw the love that they had for people. Did that mean they never got angry or lost their temper or whatever? No, of course. They had their moments. Everybody does, right? But I saw that in them, and I wanted that. I could feel it. I experienced it, and I think this is something that Paul is pointing out. Don't get caught up Spending too much time with the people that are bringing you down. Causing you to stumble. Creating division. Right? Be people that see those that are encouraging, that, that lift your spirit, that, that are willing to devote themselves to the work of the Lord. Surround yourself with those people. Anybody else? Shad? I mean, can you, can you take that too far. I mean, I know men with families that um, everything goes around the Bible, all the blessings they have, they try to pass on scripture to their kids or family or whatever, and basically everybody disowns them. I mean, I've seen that 
over and over and it's and the individual's almost like too much all the time it's you know it just seems like so in you I think to myself if you are so into that you know and, and then so into the word why is everything falling apart around you yeah so I think yeah I've, I've seen that a lot actually and I think that and then, then because, you know, like you said, I, I mean, I've seen people uh, like Marion and Megan's dad and, you know, uh, Lex and other people around here that you, you feel that love, but you don't want to run from them. You, you want to hang around them. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But so then you have the other side, and, and I don't know if it's because they're trying to cram it down, cram it down their throats or what. Well, I think you can be overzealous. Right? I think it would be too much. I get, I've probably been there once or twice in my life with some of y'all where I've been very zealous, very excited, maybe too excited. Um, I think that you can drive hard lines, right? And then if you drive hard lines, you drive people away because not everybody's going to fit in your mold. Um, I think that's a, a tricky thing because we want you to be convicted in the Word of God. Right? Each person is responsible to an extent to, for their own interpretation. And um, so I think you can be very hard-lined, and that'll chase people away, but it also can make you judgmental. And standing firm in the truth, for me, is not being judgmental. Remember when Paul was saying, hey, don't be around drunkards, don't be around all these, he was naming all this list of people, and then he said right after that, he said, I'm not talking about the world. Right? I'm talking about people in, in the church. Don't surround yourself with those people that are in the church. Right? Um, so I think there's a fine line there, but yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. And yeah, I do think, I don't think you can be too much in recognizing people and seeing the joy of the Lord in people and stuff like that, but I do think you can be overzealous. I do think you can drive a hard line where if you don't fit in my box, you can't be around me or I can't accept your life at all. Um, and I think that's, that's real touchy. I don't have a perfect answer for you on that, though. But I, that's, that's what I've seen in the same scenarios you're talking about. Susan? You know, I appreciate this more when you move around a lot. Some people have been blessed by always having a, a family around them or people around them mm -hmm. to encourage them. But, like, I'm an Air Force brat. We moved every year, every year and a half. Yeah. And so the first thing my parents did was we found a church or we started a church. So we were surrounded by, not family, but family. Yeah. Because they were all working towards the Lord, and we recognized that in each other. They weren't the do-gooders. They were, what it said, these are people that have service. They want to serve the saints. Yeah. And I think that when you're in that situation, as he said, these people had helped him when the other people weren't there. In their absence, these, this family yeah. had encouraged him. And I think when you're in that situation, there is nothing that strengthens you more. Yeah. And even if it's two or three people, find them because it's just nothing more encouraging. Yeah. yeah, I think you're right. I do think that when we get used to each other, it just becomes part of everybody's personality and all that when you move and see new people. You have to get to work with people you haven't been with for a long time. You don't know who's who. It kind of, that does stand out more. I agree with you on that. Um, anybody else? William? You know, I think about when I first came here, 
Uh, my wife was a pathfinder. She came to this, this church and she said, why don't, you, why don't we look at North Brevard? So we came. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm the type that, you know, kind of, I really evaluate things pretty thoroughly and I, I take my time. And I never forget, I knew Marion and, and some of the other brothers, but, but one thing, you don't know who God is going to put in your life to help you make a decision, especially a decision that affects your family. And I, I, my wife, I had three sons. And so being a patriot, I'm kind of looking to do something that benefits everybody. But Joanne Smith, and, and don't ask me how she fit into God's plan, but I know that she came up to me and, and she, she hugged me, she told me, I love you. And she gave me a kiss, and I says, wow, that one person of, of, of a church full of many members really uh, uh, motivate me on thinking about being a part of this local body. Mm -hmm. So it only takes one, and, and it's, it might not be who you think it is. True. It come out of nowhere, but God, God is working. Yeah. All right. All right, Carl, then Chad. Uh, <clears throat> you know, when I, I thought about that question uh, a bunch of times, you know, about people that are extreme and how people don't want to be around, even in the church. And I was thinking, I don't know the answer either, because Paul seemed to be very extreme, but people flocked to him, you know. And, um, but I know, you know, he gave the command, Jesus gave the command through Paul not to not exasperate your children. So I know, in my opinion, I think sometimes us parents in the church, we can take away so many things that our kids like, like video games and movies. And I'm not saying we shouldn't censor some things, but sometimes that can exasperate it in itself. And I think that may be part of the reason why some of the kids grow up and they're like, I don't want nothing to do with this. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. And there's hard lines, and I could go through some history of hard lines that even uh, our own brotherhood has taken on certain things, not across the board but in different experiences I've been in um, that definitely uh, were extreme and made parents question, I mean, made kids question their parents. Um, and, you know, Paul, I like what you said right there, but I'm going to have to disagree with you just a touch, too. Paul was extreme. He lived an extreme life. No doubt on that. But Paul was also the man who could say, I've been all things to all men, and I take what somebody else believes and I put that over myself and I will even surrender who I am to gain more in Christ. So he was very extreme, but he was also um, probably one of the most, um, um, I don't know the right word. He was very extreme. Let me say it this way. What? He was adaptable. Yeah, he was definitely adaptable, but I was thinking... Like, he took a, even though he was a leader, he took a servant role. And he considered the people who even just came into the church just as important as the people who have been here forever and just as important as himself. So um, I think you can be pretty tough on what you believe and what you don't believe, and you can stand firm in who you are and your faith. 
and not scare people away if you have love. And if love is exuding out of you, if, if that forgiveness and that grace and that mercy is seen um, in your own life. And unfortunately, sometimes the best teacher is life. And sometimes the person that can't see that, it takes people moving away and relationships breaking down and stuff before they can. So hopefully you can see that before that happens to you if, you know, if you're one of those people. Um, okay, anybody else real quick? Chad? I just want to say uh, how blessed we've been to have William in a part of our congregation. You're talking about a brother with love? That's, That's right. William. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> did what he was told comes yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> okay um, verse 19 the churches of Asia send you greetings Aquila and Presca together with the church in their house send you hearty greetings in the Lord all the brothers send you greetings kiss one another with a holy kiss William it was biblical I Paul write this greeting with my own hand because we know he had bad eyesight, so he's saying it. And this is, to me, when he says, I'm writing this with my own hand, he's about to say something very important, right? He's also sealing the, the letter, if you will. It's his approval. He's read it all. Now he's finishing it, right? But he's about to say something really important. And to me, if, to me, this is very important, even though it's a little bit tough. It says, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. And then he says, our Lord, come. So he's hastening the day of the Lord, if you will, right? The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. That part's tough. Don't you think? That's not quite the, the, the positive message that we're used to seeing in the Bible. Is he... Condemning them to hell? Go ahead, Chuck. Kind of, you know, you look at the way Christ treated the Pharisees and Sadducees. He knew their heart. Yeah. And they didn't have a love for the Lord. Yeah. And he didn't hold back. Sure. He called them generation of vipers, whited sepulchers. They were dead. That was that was accursed. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it, and their their heart their hardened hearts. Their eyes that couldn't see, their ears that couldn't hurt, hear, it's all curse. So I think it's consistent, certainly with Christ. And what he did was, someone doesn't love the Lord and they're fighting against you. No patience with them at all. Yeah. Christ didn't have patience with them when they were using his father's temple for robbing people. Yeah. Yeah? True. Yeah. I'm not sure you have a choice. If you're loving Christ and trying to live that life, and this guy's constantly in your face, I think that's why Christ did what he did. He couldn't be around the Pharisees and the Sadducees without running into that guy who was constantly berating his faith and where it was leading others. It just, the lifestyle and and the opposition just don't go together. Yeah. Sad. But I mean, he, he spent his whole time on earth trying to save those that didn't know him. Yeah. That were sinners, 
were uh, tax collectors, right? Yeah. And so I think maybe the curse is when you don't know God, you, you don't have that peace or that love in your life. So you're, you're missing out. You're, you're not living your life here fully because you don't know Christ. So I know that's a little off topic, but it, it can be that also because you don't know the true uh, fulfillment that you can have here while you're here okay. without, without Christ. Okay. Chuck? So, the way you prefaced it here is someone who basically, if you have no love of the Lord, you hate him. Yeah. You're against no him. love. Okay. Let that not even a little bit. It's right, not right. the person who doesn't know. It's this person who says, they've been told about the Lord, and they're going to do it their way. And they want you to do it their way. That's the person who's cursed. Yeah, you know, um, one of the... One of the oldest, um, like, criticisms, you know, like, proofs that Jesus was a man and lived from the enemy's side is a piece of graffiti on a cave. Have you ever seen it? It's a man hanging on a cross, and there's a sign above the head, and it says, King of the Jews, so you know who it is. Do you know what the head is? It's a donkey. How does it make you feel? That somebody would talk about your Savior like that. See, to me, those are the types of things that it's talking, it's not just talking about people who are lost. It's not talking about people who are um, even worldly. This is talking about the people who have literally went against God. You're talking about evil. Evil. Imagine if you lived... You know, Shad, you said at the beginning, right, the worst thing to you would to not be loved by anybody, to have no love in your life. Imagine what you would be as a result of that, to have no love. Probably be pretty evil. In fact, a lot of the reasons why we're not evil is because of the love we experience, right? The world can be pretty bitter at times. The world can certainly lead us all down the wrong direction. And it's a lot about the love of the people in our lives, the love for God, the love for each other that keeps us on track. Right? So to have no love, no love, and I want to emphasize that, no love. He's not saying, again, people that are lost, people that are struggling, people that might even struggle with some hatred in their heart. That can be healed. He's talking about the people who have no love for God. They hate God. Um, and I could go through songs that have been sang that mock Jesus. Right? Imagine the things that the people said at the cross while he was hanging there dying for the world. That's the type of emptiness of the love of God that we're talking about. He saved others. They know it. It wasn't a secret. They weren't saying it like he said he could save others. He saved others. He did all these miracles. Do a miracle for yourself. I mean, oh, I can't imagine ever being that type of person. Even if I thought he was a lunatic. To sit there and mock him in his death. I think this, I, I, I mean, to me, this is the greatest example I can give you of. It. True evil is going to come from that. 
The evil that we fight in this world is going to come from that. Right? The reality is he's going to let the wheat grow with the... Which is why Paul follows this up with... Hurry up, Jesus. Right? Again, I think it, it goes back to, to me at least, the, the, one of the worst things we can let people do is go to hell. And don't forget that. Don't forget that. It's better to tell them the truth than say nothing at all at times. But when you do, do it in love. Because that's what Jesus' life was all about. That's what this is all about, right? All right, so what can you learn? we got to go through this a little bit quicker because, as usual, you surprised me and we discussed way more on a few verses than I thought we would, but that's okay. I love it. Um, what can we learn? What, what stuck out for you? I'll give you one, and then if somebody else wants to say one, they can. i got a few here, and we'll get through these real quick and get out of here, okay? Um, for me... One of the things I learned was every Christian will have many people around them that they can look up to, admire, and imitate, right? And Paul says multiple times, imitate me because I'm imitating Christ, right? It's not about Paul, it's about who he's following, right? With that being said, we are all picking up our cross and following Jesus, right? There's a lot of people to look up to in this room. There's a lot of people I do look up to in this room. But at the end of the day, I'm not following you any more than I'm following Jesus, right? I'm following you because you imitate Christ, and that's how all of us should be. Anybody else got one they want to throw out there? Mike? Love and unity. unity. That's right. Unity and love. I think, actually, you read my slides? Yeah, I agree with you. Unity will build the church body and edify each part until it is working properly, right? Division will bring dysfunction and ultimately could destroy the church body. Let me tell you something. You've all had your experiences in church over your life, whether you've been here your whole life or in many churches. You've all had experiences where maybe at times you weren't happy with where your church was at, right? Or you weren't happy with who the minister was or how something was going or go through the list that people get upset about. You can have the best coach in the world and somebody's parent isn't happy with the coach. Okay? So I could, I could make a lot of references to college football right now. I'm not going to. Okay? But imagine being at the church in Corinth with some of the stuff they dealt with. Imagine coming in here and there's a group of people that have already taken the Lord's Supper and you know there's, there was plenty before but now there's none and they're looking at you like, sorry man, you're really not good enough for this anyway. Imagine looking at, going to a church where there are people who literally have flags, banners, not, okay, maybe not literally. But they're, they're, they're going to follow this opinion, and they're going to follow this, and the war that's caused in between that. Rallying behind men instead of rallying behind God. Imagine going to a church where 
people come and take the Lord's Supper and then after church they go to the temple and drink the blood of sacrifices. Eat the meat worshiping idols. Like that's what we discussed. How did this church ever make it? Right? When we were going through Hurricane Ian, my power kept going off. You know, it's annoying. It's annoying sitting here. We were blessed with a couple cool days. By the time the cool days were over, my power was on. But I remember a few years ago, one came through, and I didn't have power for like a week and a half. And I remember how bitter and over it I was and how celebratory I was the first time I heard the AC kick on. But I remember being that bitter because it just, every day you were hoping and every day you were disappointed. And then you look at Fort Myers and you realize, well, that's never happened to me. Right? I mean, there, it's kind of like the church in Corinth. And the reality is, unity, that's why unity is so important. That's why love, relationship with each other, that closeness is so important in the church. We're going to have disagreements. Me and you could study the Bible eight hours a day, every single day, think we have it memorized inside and out, and we're going to interpret things a little bit different at times. Right? But if we have love, then even though we disagree at times, we can see through that. And we can still have a relationship and we can even rebuild damaged relationships. But you have to have love. And you have to be unified. Not, not in each person's interpretation. You don't have to agree with everything I say. You don't even honestly have to agree with everything an individual elder says. Because at the end of the day, we're all following Jesus. If there's love, then even at times when we disagree, we can still rebuild. We still have something to work on, and we still have something we're working for that's greater than any of us. Right? I think that one's really important for me. That was a, probably the biggest take-home for me in, in, in this. Um, Brian. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, when we had multiple small groups and we had, you know, fellowship outside of worship or class, I mean, you, you got to build those relationships. That's right. And, I mean, like Susan was saying, how moving around gave her that opportunity to, to build relationships with other people. I think, like you said, I mean, you know who everybody is in here, but I think without that fellowship, you don't get to be able to build that that closest, that relationship, and get to see people in a deeper and different light. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, COVID's obviously made a huge hit on us and taken that away from us, but, you know, as we're coming out of that, I mean, I think it's, that fellowship is so important. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I think we have to be intentional on creating opportunities of fellowship for all ages going forward in the future, for sure. Chad? And a lot of things in life, just like that, separation of church, whatever the case may be, conflict, anything like that. Are you the Christian that steps back for a second, gets a breath, and steps in to calm? Yeah. You know, I mean, that's the, that, that's the Christian I hope to, to try to be one day and not be the, and not be part of the fire. I would like to, you know, be part of the calmness that controls and contains the fire one day in my Christianity, hopefully. Yeah. Um, you know, so, you know, in situations, ask yourself, what kind of Christian are you? Yeah, I think that's a good point, but I also want to give you some encouragement, man. You just described Peter. Just saying. Peter was the first one to swing a sword. Peter was the first one off the boat because he was also the first one that professed Jesus Christ. He was just always the first. He was the first one. So not everybody's built to just stand back and watch either and figure it out calmly. But I hear exactly what you're saying. All right, just for time's sake, I'm going to read my last couple real quick, and then if anybody else wants to add something, we'll do that too. Um, God's word is the authority the church must follow. God's word is the authority that the church must follow. But when it comes to opinion, I must consider others' views as well as my own. It's not just about what I think. Super important, not just in relationship, but in the church, right? It is super important that I realize, no matter how much I study, that everybody else has an opinion, and their opinion has a right to be heard as well, okay? Um, this one, and I, I got on my soapbox about this when we get, went through it, and, and I, I, uh, I still am trying to wrap my head around how we can... I don't want to, obviously, I don't want to change how we do things, but how we can do things better. Um, the Lord's Supper is a serious part of our worship and should not be taken in an irre irre irreverent way. Self-examination, remembrance, thanksgiving, reconciliation. Not just reconciliation between you and the Lord, but reconciliation between you and a brother or a sister that might be going through something, okay? Because the body and the unity of the body is that important that it's even part of the Lord's Supper. And even repentance, to me at least, should be part of the experience of the Lord's Supper. If you need to reconcile with the Lord, reconcile with the Lord. That's part of self-examination, all right? And last but not least for me, God gives us all spiritual gifts to help us accomplish the work he has prepared before us, but they must be used out of our love for God and for others, not for elevation of self. Elevation of God. I had a um, teacher a long time ago say, only one person's going to get the glory. At the end of the day, in whatever you do, only one person's going to get the glory. Is it going to be you or is it going to be God? I just ran through those really fast. Um, I just want you to think about this because the way we started 1 Corinthians, I was telling you that it's a good opportunity to learn about church culture, and really it was a what not to do in a lot of ways. But by looking at what not to do, sometimes it's easy to see what you should be doing and how easily things can get carried away in the wrong direction. Right? So um, with that being said, and if there's nothing else, Shad, you get last? I have one question. Okay. And this is on the record because we're rolling tape. Turn it off. When are you moving into that house? <laughs> <laughs>
We're supposed to close on Friday. Friday, and then um, we actually won't move our stuff in till next weekend, because even though it's a brand new house, Amy's still got a honey-do list that's a mile long that I gotta get done before we move everything in. Yep. Good? All right, well, I appreciate everybody's comments, the love in the room, the unity that we have, and um, also, you know, the different opinions in the way we look at scripture. I, I really appreciate it. I hope it's been beneficial for you. And next week we'll start something new, which we are not going to announce till Sunday. So be here Sunday to find out what that is. All right. See y'all.